0: Hey, Fit Friends. Quick shout out to today's sponsor, Milton's. At my house, we are hooked on their cauliflower crust pizzas. They are deliciously thin and crispy, made from premium ingredients, and ready straight out of the oven in just 15 minutes, making them so convenient for a quick and easy meal that everyone will enjoy. And I have some exciting news for all of you. They're inviting our listeners to sign up to receive free Milton's pizza. Check the show notes for more details on how you can receive Nolan's pizza to share with your friends and family at no cost to you. All right, team, on to the show. Welcome back to this week's episode of Fit Friends Happy Hour. Today's guest is holistic wellness coach, Darlene Marshall. Two years ago, Darlene was named America's favorite trainer by Burnalong, and you will totally understand why after listening to this interview. She is also a fellow podcaster and hosts the Better Than Fine podcast on the NASM Podcasting Network. She's certified with NASM in wellness coaching and personal training. She has a master's in applied positive psychology from the University of Pennsylvania and additional certifications in nutrition coaching, neuro-linguistic programming, and 200-hour yoga teacher training in alignment yoga. Today we dig into not only her personal story with chronic disease and just relationships and all the nitty-gritty but really her experience and knowledge in using positive psychology through movement to change your life. We both work one-on-one with clients, but we also both work at the industry level, so we discuss some of the challenges and really opportunities for the fitness community to do better. I know on the other side of this episode you are going to feel so recharged and energized for your week ahead. Welcome to Fit Friends Happy Hour, a podcast about all things nutrition, fitness, and life in your 20s and 30s, all from a non-diet lens. I'm your host, Katie Hake, and I'm a registered dietitian nutritionist and certified personal trainer. Join me here every week as I talk with interesting people and experts from all walks of life about their relationship with food and their bodies. I'll also share my experience working with clients in my private practice to help women find food freedom and body confidence. I'm on a mission to help you stop quantifying and start living. Learn to stop measuring your success by the scale and find your fears. Darlene, so good to see your face again. Welcome to Fit Friends Happy Hour.
1: Yeah, Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Okay, Darlene is one of those gals that I have to just, Hey, we got to get the show going because we could sit here and chat and catch up and talk (laughs) all things all day. So why don't you just start by sharing with our listeners a little bit about yourself, what you do and and really what's your story with food and fitness?
1: Sure. Um, So who I am, what do I do? Um, I, on paper, on my business card, it says holistic wellness coach. What that means is I'm certified as a personal trainer, a certified wellness coach. I've got teacher training, mindfulness, meditation, nutrition coach. I think the the thing that makes me a little different than other similar practitioners, right? Like you're in the space long enough and you get a bazillion certs is I have a master's degree in positive psychology from the University of Pennsylvania. And for anybody who doesn't know what positive psychology is, it's the scientific study of human well-being. And so really what I do is... I help people figure out how to build a lifestyle that sustains their well-being so that they can not only thrive, but like show up in the world and live their purpose and like do whatever it is that they were born to do, whatever that means to them. Right. Like there's no production on that part, which is unique in that space because a lot of positive psychology is around like well-being at work or, you know, corporate stuff or moms. Nothing against moms. But Really, my side is around nutrition, movement, sleep habits, mindset, you know, these practices that support one's physical well-being, what I call embodied well-being, so that they can do all that other stuff they want to do. And it's been a pretty wild journey when I think about it. I typically get emotional, Katie. So like when I start
0: crying, like don't be surprised. We welcome um, it. I get all the goosebumps. Bring it. All the fee-fees <laughs> are gonna come up.
1: And you know, to tell the story well, I have to go back to when I was um, 23. You know, I grew up very tall, like six foot one. I played all the tall people sports. I basketball, volleyball, I played collegiate rugby and got pretty hurt. So by the time I was 23, I was having a hard time getting off the couch. And my then husband, um, unfortunately that relationship is over, but he was really pivotal in this story and in, and in the support of what happens next. Um, he was helping me stand up off of the couch. And I made a joke about getting older. He's like, what do you mean? And I was like, well, you know, your body hurts and joints don't work. It's like, what are you talking about? You're 23. And I asked him a few more questions and came to realize that not everyone is in chronic, debilitating pain all of the time. Because I didn't know then. And what I learned over the next few weeks was I have a genetic disorder that predisposes me to joint dislocations. And I was tackling 200 pound women for fun. So it was the wrong sport. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I couldn't walk barefoot at all. I couldn't carry anything in my left arm. In order to like walk down the street, I'd hook my thumb in my bra strap so that my shoulder wouldn't start to like slide out of the socket. It was really miserable, but I legitimately thought everybody was in
0: pain all the time. Yeah, this is just how my body is supposed to feel. This is normal.
1: Yeah, it will. And I come from a family where everybody's, you know, like, oh, they're double jointed. They just have bad knees. And I was raised in an environment where that's normal. And so I thought it was everybody's normal. And it's a really pivotal moment in my life because that realization, that dawning upon me, is when I started, I think, to really question. My assumptions about myself and the world and my life, and start to like kind of see you know the man behind the curtain of what I'd been taught about what life could and should be. And so, I was diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, hypermobility type. Um, you know, there's a whole different class of disorders of different problems, but I have the one that's not fatal. Uh, you're just uncomfortable all the time.
0: Fun fact. And- fun fact. We've actually talked about this on the show. So I actually used to work in a genetics clinic. And we have EDS specialist, and so I was like, I think this is what she's going to say, but I'm not sure. Yeah, talking about EDS.
1: Yeah, it's always interesting to see people who know it and get it like react because you we call ourselves zebras, and that comes from this cliche thing that doctors are taught, which is when you hear hoof print, when you hear hoof beats, think horses, not zebras. Um, and oftentimes someone with Ehlers danlos syndrome will go many years with misdiagnosis or not legitimately not being believed about their symptoms mm. because the doctors are thinking, horses, but you're a zebra. Mm. And it's an awful thing to say about one's own suffering, but I was actually one of the lucky ones because I was so bad so quick, I was diagnosed early enough that I was able to make a lot of very intentional choices. So the story goes that um, within a few weeks, I had an insane amount of x-rays and MRIs to figure out what could be fixed with physical therapy and what had to be surgery. But the physical therapist I was sent to told me, look, you're not going to get better. This is progressive. You need to lower your expectations and prepare yourself for a sedentary life. And I got pretty depressed and it got kind of scary. But in that moment of like my own dark place, I remembered what it was like, and this is where I start to get emotional. I remember what it was like to be an athlete and that when I was strong and I was listening to my body instead of to everyone else, that I did a lot better and I was in way less pain. So I was like, okay, maybe if I just get as strong as I possibly can, I'll get better. So you couldn't Google it because this was like 15, 16 years ago. And like, I couldn't just Google your stellar syndrome and find information. I had to legitimately figure it out by trial and error. And so I went from that state to within five years, I was running a high 5K and rock climbing all over the Northeast and really starting to ask myself, like, what kind of future did I want to have if I was working with a different set of tools and resources than I was told to expect? Uh, And that is what led me. That's what led me out of that kind of languishing state at the time I was an actor. Um, and and I'll just say like on stage, I was a comedic actor, but off stage I was a total mess. Like, you know, drinking a lot, <laughs> smoking cigarettes, not sleeping very much, very well, or very often, and mental health, just junk, even before I was diagnosed. And I really had to look at all of those factors in order to step into a future that wasn't going to be gradually deteriorating into a state that I couldn't do anything, um, anything that that was meaningful and resonated to me, the kind of future I wanted, and that's directly what led me out of that state and into thinking like, well, maybe I could help other people figure some of this stuff out, and that's when I decided to become a personal trainer. And so when we talk about my relationship with fitness and food, you know, that's the fitness piece. The food piece is unfortunately even more um, heavy. You know, I grew up in a family that I'm now able to recognize as some really inappropriate relationships with food, you know, some, some big hallmarks of disordered eating that manifested in myself. And it's taken me a really long time and a lot of deep work. To be able to admit to myself that even when I was at what my own industry, what the fitness industry has told me is healthy, that it was coming from a really harmful and restrictive place that has led me to some very dark, dark places. And the recognition that that was happening and then the search for what does nutrition that nourishes me on all of my levels actually look like in a meaningful way that honors not only the person I was, the moment I'm in, but also who I want to be when I grow up. And that's been a whole journey in itself. And I think one of the biggest parts of that journey has been not resenting the people around me who put me in that space because they were doing the best that they could with what they knew in their lives.
0: So there you go, Katie. We started off real light. <laughs> wow. Wow. I know. It's like get get your your seatbelts on and your grab your helmets because I just already know there's gonna be so many aha moments. So full contact podcast. <laughs> right. First, first of all, thank you for you know just your vulnerability and sharing that story. I think so many of our listeners can resonate with that feeling of not being heard, not being listened to, really just this distrust with their body regardless of where they're at you know on their their non-diet approach and what i heard you say what was really interesting is that you know food and fitness were ultimately like a small piece of your total well-being yeah so what did it mean kind of for you in this next phase as you became a personal trainer and you know this deep work and learning like how did you talk to us about like that transition from where you were to redefining really what fitness meant or what health meant for you.
1: Yeah. I think that fitness in the beginning, you know, if I go back to the origin story, you know, the superhero story, you know, I was always an athlete, basketball, volleyball, rugby. I love sport. I love using my body as a vehicle for fun. And that was always the expectation I had of myself until I couldn't. And that was the scary part. And then it became fitness was my medicine. Fitness was how I was going to get better. And I was going to keep trying and figuring it out until I was either better or I wasn't, you know, breathing anymore. Like I was going to be a never ending journey to use it as as a tool for health. Mm -hmm. And then I got into the fitness industry. I worked for a major multinational fitness company, um, you know, well-known name in the industry, uh, luxury fitness, and there was an expectation of appearance. And I was acutely aware, being in a plus size body, that I did not fit that expectation. And so at that point, fitness then became a tool to control how other people would perceive me. Mm -hmm. And I often felt like I needed to make an excuse like, oh, I have, I have this medical thing. That's why I don't look like a trainer. And it was at times really difficult, really toxic. You know, I've told the story on my show before about a period of time when high, high level management did a club walkthrough of the club I worked in. And at that time, there were mothers, a former nationally ranked water polo player, a future Olympian on the female staff. And apparently, this senior leader went to our managers and complained that none of the female trainers looked like trainers. And so the managers had to come up with a way to essentially try to trick us into working out more, even though all of us were athletes. Mm. And so at that point, my relationship with fitness became about control. And I started to hate it, like really, really hate it and then i started studying positive psychology i started studying human well-being and through my work was really looking at the research on motivation and mental health that comes from movement and the way that we can use movement as a vehicle not only for fun but for well-being and it brought me full circle back to that girl that just really liked volleyball mm-hmm. and then I started really asking myself these big questions about the messages that the fitness industry has given us and the marketing machine that is fitness and wellness and what was my role in it. And I didn't really like what the answers were. And that was a big catalyst for change for me. Um, so I don't know if that fully answers your question, but like that's the journey as best I can yeah. put labels on it.
0: You bring up the marketing machine. It's so interesting. I just yeah. had this conversation in my DMs this weekend because I was talking about, you know, major fitness company and, you know, it's it's a great class. You check it out. It's really fun. And someone really brought to my attention, like, I believe you, but the marketing everywhere only shows thin bodies. How can I resonate with that? And I was like, man, it, it just, I go, I don't know about you, but I go in ebbs and flows with the fitness industry. I think we're making progress one day. And then the next day I'm like, man, no, we have so... So, so far to go. So what's what's your opinion on that?
1: You know, it's hard to, ha- it's hard to have this conversation on an open mic, right? Because <laughs> you want to be respectful of both of our yes. livelihoods. And at the same time, we want to see tangible positive change. Mm-hmm. And it also is not lost, I'm sure on either one of us, that it's January and the marketing machine is at full crank right now. And it sometimes it feels shameful to me. Mm -hmm. to put my name next to labels, fitness and wellness, when those things are toxic. And there was a point in my life where I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm done, done. I am walking away. And I was offered opportunities to have a louder voice in the conversation. And ultimately, that's what got me to stay in these industries. Using those labels was because I felt like maybe I could do some good work to invite people into a meaningful conversation about their own well-being and that that was going to be more powerful in the long run than shame blame and guilt marketing which for me i can't have this conversation without pointing out the mechanisms so that people are aware like when you work in the fitness and wellness space and you are taught to market yourself so that you can make a living what you are taught is to point out people's flaws Because you are told that that is the only way you can sell your service. Mm -hmm. And I was coming in from the very beginning. I wanted to work with people with chronic illnesses and catastrophic injuries, um, what what the industry calls special populations, because I wanted to help people like me figure out how to live in bodies that are different than other bodies. And Mm -hmm. so I immediately was like, I'm not going to shame and guilt somebody with a genetic disorder or an autoimmune disease. Like, Mm -hmm. no. Right. And so I know from my own experience that you don't need to do that. And so I share that because I want your listeners to hear, like when you engage with marketing, um, do you remember in the nineties, the like pickup artist the like nineties and
0: early two thousands mystery, the pickup artist? No, I I, I don't making. I'll probably remember once we hang up, but proceed.
1: So he was like, a guy that would teach other men how to get women to hook up with them. Oh, boy. And this like whole hookup culture in LA and like the late nineties. early 90s. So he had a show on VH one called the pickup artist. And he would teach men to do something called negging, which is like, find the most attractive woman and like give her a backhanded compliment. So she starts to doubt and question herself because the really, really beautiful women have low self-esteem. And if you like exploit that, you'll get to take them home.
0: And so horrible. <laughs>
1: Put that framing on fitness it's pretty what much, are they doing pretty much make you feel bad about yourself so that you will invest in the solution that they have just told you that you have the problem for
0: mm-hmm.
1: And we as a as a
0: culture, are
1: consistently being negged mm-hmm. <laughs> by fitness and wellness,
0: yeah. it's it's so challenging. I agree with you sometimes to work in the space. but, you know for any personal trainers or fitness professionals listening or even really whatever industry that you're in, if I think if there's something that like irks you to your core, that's even more reason to stay in it because I think that's such a strong sign of, you know the industry needs people like us, like you said to to have those voices to bring up the conversations even if we're the only one in the room and everyone looks at us like we have five heads.
1: And also, I want to speak to that person that in that moment, it's so uncomfortable. Like I I have been that person and you feel like you have, you know, that five head feeling I think of as being an alien. That's what I call myself. It's like, mm-hmm. Oh, I'm the alien. Cool. It can be so uncomfortable and so difficult. And so I just want to normalize for that person. Like I felt that way. It sounds like you have felt that way. Um, there are those of us out here. If you need an, an ally, you're um, not alone in this corner you, of the internet. <laughs> you aren't. And validation and on the day that you just don't have the energy for it, like that's okay too.
0: Yeah. We we talk about that a lot too of just, you know, understanding your energy, protecting your energy when it comes to changing the world, right? We're trying to change the world, but some days you just have to focus on you. So but I wanna go back to something you mentioned about just the industry. And can you define for listeners in your words, what do you define the difference between fitness and wellness? Because I think Oh, sure. People get that very mixed up.
1: Oh, yeah. So fitness, as we mean it, right, is, you know, I often think about fitness as personal training specifically, but I recognize that, like, we're also talking about group fitness and all of that, but it is outcome oriented, right? Typically, fitness focuses on movement, probably exercise, which also has its own specific definition. Not all movement is exercise, but all exercise is movement. And so exercise is about an outcome. You do an exercise, you do a set of exercises because you are trying to cause the body to change in some way. You're trying to cause a physiological adaptation. That's what we call it in the trainer world. And so the fitness industry in general is about providing information, guidance, spaces, classes to give that simulation to your body to get your body to change in some way. And not everything that I think happens in, say, a gym, necessarily, you have to label fitness, right? Like, I could go to a yoga class just because I want to have, like, present moment awareness and be embodied, and that wouldn't necessarily be fall under the definition of fitness. But that is what we mean when we say that in the industry. Whereas wellness, um, you know, I, I am certified with the National Academy of Sports Medicine. I help to write their certified wellness coach course. Their definition is, you know, wellness is a process of mental, physical, and emotional betterment of life. Um, And so if I take that and I unpack it in my own words, it's, you know, wellness is the process of life and living where you're making intentional choices that grow you toward your own, you know, betterment, your own flourishing. I also think of it as, like i've been writing a lot about like what's the point of wellness because it's currently a three billion dollar industry it's growing into a what's projected to be a
0: seven billion dollar industry i don't know well yeah it's it's like i see both sides it makes me sick but also it's like exciting but then part of me is like i think of goop and like
1: yeah we're naming
0: names we're naming names sorry that was the first one that came to mind. oh no i'm
1: (laughs) i'm with you i'm with you um but i think You know, I've got a a friend who was recently offered a wellness eye exam. What the hell is that? Like, are beauty products wellness? And when I really look at the industry, which I spend a lot of time doing, I think the answer is no, because the point of wellness is to learn about yourself, to care for yourself, to move toward integration, which is like, am I a complete person where that mental, the physical, the emotional the um, thoughts I have, the actions I take, are all of those things aligned in a way that feels good to me so that I'm whole and cared for? Like, am I cared for in the way that, like, my grandmother would want me to be? And because I'm I'm a total grandma girl. Like, she's my person. (laughs) She's, um, Mr. Rogers says that, like, every kid should have a special person and mine is my grandma Betty. Oh, I love that. And so when I think about, like, wellness and self-care and well-being and integration and wholeness. Like it's all of the things that my grandmother wanted for me when I was six. Mm -hmm. Right. Like that to me is integration and wholeness. And that is the point of wellness, which means that a lot of that $3 billion is money we're spending on things that are getting a label slapped on it by the marketing team. I have a real hard time with that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's in diet culture. It's, it's this, this, Getting in this gray area, diet culture overlapping wellness, and so it makes it super confusing for the consumer. And I'm curious about your perspective, both you know personally, but also professionally, and through your research. Why do you see, think that it's so challenging for people to move from you know that shift? We, you and I have both been there. We've seen clients there where I'm really engaged in fitness, but now I'm in a different season of my life where I I need. I need to really, for <laughs> a lack of better terms, move into this more wellness perspective. Like that shift, moving away from weight loss or moving away from aesthetics, is so challenging for people. And why do you think that is? Yeah,
1: um, you know, the two two things come to mind for me. The first is a quote I've seen floating around a lot lately, and I wish I could attribute it reliably, but I see it attributed to a bunch of different people, which is, who you are is not your fault, but it is your responsibility. And if we unpack that first half, it's not your fault. We're all raised in a context that we have no control over. And until we become mindfully aware of ourselves and our behavior and we start doing the like really difficult work of unpacking what we've been taught versus who we are and who we want to be, um, we can't see the seams, right? We can't see the structures. Um, Earlier today, I was on with a client and we called it the black box in the back of his head. We don't know what's in the black box until we open it up and look at it. And so the second thing that it made me think of was that family context i talked about right i was raised in a household that was eyeball deep in diet culture again not naming names but a number of people in my family have lifetime memberships to a certain very very famous Mm -hmm. diet culture staple Mm -hmm. um and they're still going back to the well every six months or so Mm -hmm. even with me doing what i do um and so i think when you're raised in that context, when that's being marketed to you in ways that if you're not aware of the tools they're using to manipulate you, you're stuck in that black box. And that is the starting point that you're talking about. And so I think to take that a step further, the invitation for me is mindful awareness and a big old question. How's that working for you? Mm. Because of like I said, every six months with a lifetime membership, my entire lifetime. So for four decades, some of these people in my family have been going back to the same tools that just don't work, but they're being sold it really actively. And being a person that has studied the human body and mind on a really deep level, I can also say that a lot of those tools, I hesitate to even call them that, are hurting (laughs) them. You know, they're Causing metabolic damage, they're causing hormonal damage. They're they are hurting them. They're causing emotional, psychological damage. Yeah, but it's so under the radar for a lot of people that they don't know that that's what's hurting them. And even when they realize that, they have no idea how to get out of it. And unfortunately, right behind that is the next marketing person selling. Well, we've got your solution and co-opting it's language
0: repackaged, re yeah. restructured same thing, different name.
1: Yeah. And they're oftentimes taking language from people like you and I uh, who are, uh, <laughs> here, Oh yeah. Let's go
0: down. We're like, we, we already started to rant about it before we clicked record.
1: yeah Well, but, but by, by co-opting a language, like the, one of the big ones I've seen a lot being co-opted is like body positive, body neutral, even intuitive eating, which I know is something near and dear to your heart, mm-hmm. they are being co-opted to then sell back the same set of beliefs. Like I've got someone who was a really good friend who I had to stop following because they claim to be body positive and um, not a diet <laughs> coach. Um, but they're posting before and after pictures like daily. And like you, you don't get it but you're saying the things that make other people think they get it. So you're lost mm-hmm. in the maze to begin with, right? Your own context of how you were raised. Then you think you're trying to get out and what you're doing is hopping practitioner to practitioner who's saying the right things, but still selling the same shit. I don't know, think mm-hmm. I swear in your podcast? Yes, ab-
0: absolutely.
1: <laughs> um, and so I don't blame anybody who's lost in that sauce. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I hope that they do is that they find someone like you who they can reliably look at and i think that also speaks back to what you were saying like to any practitioner listening is you don't know if you're going to be the person that says the thing today on instagram that rings the bell for somebody who otherwise would have started a diet tomorrow
0: oh that gives me goosebumps too because it's so true and to your point you know even when people recognize you know the cycle that they're in it can feel very debilitating, maybe for lack of better words. Okay. Once I recognize this now, what do I even do? Because that fear of, well, if I don't do this, there's all these other unknowns. You, I, might, I,
1: I, I was with but, you and I was like, is there a question?
0: <laughs> no, no. So I want to go back. You mentioned earlier when we were talking about motivation and mm. you've, you really have spent a lot of time studying motivation. So at the time of this recording, it's the new year, people are all hype. So talk to us about motivation. What is it? Like, how do we stay motivated beyond the new year? What does that look like?
1: Yeah, um, I think there's a lot there. So I'm going to try to not be too long winded. Um, You know, first, I want to just recognize like, the new year, the new week, the new month, like it is a very natural human impulse to be at a horizon to something new and use that as a motivational lever. So there is nothing wrong. You know, I a well-known former employer of mine pulled a, a marketing stunt earlier this week where they didn't allow new members to sign up on January 1st because we don't do January. And it was the most like shamy dismissive junk. Interesting. It made me very mad because it is okay to be like, okay, it's New Year's. I just had all of that holiday. I you know, I laid on the couch for a week because I was so burnt out from 2022. All right, we got to do something else now. That's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the trick is what are we going to do from there? It's not the when in my mind, it's the what. And so when we talk about motivation, we talk about like why people do what they do. I want you to think of it like a spectrum. And on one end of the spectrum is like, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> and right next to that, which is called a motivation, right next to that is I'm doing it because otherwise I will be punished or rewarded. Right? If there was no punishment or reward, I wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Now, if we live in that space long enough, we start to internalize those structures of like shame, blame, guilt, and reward. That's right next to, <laughs> right? Like external punishment, internal punishment, and reward. At the other end of the scale is all of the things that we do because we genuinely want to do them. They feel good. They're fun. They're joyful. They're happy playing with babies, petting puppies, cuddling cats, like yay, watching your favorite TV show. You do them because you want to. But right next to that is all the things that we do because we think of we're identified with it, right? Like I was a basketball player. I became a rugby player. Those were my identity. Mm -hmm. And so when somebody told me you're never going to do that again, I rejected it because it was so far from who I thought of myself as
0: and Mm -hmm. also you identified with. Yeah.
1: Right. But right next to that is the things that we do because we really value them. Like I was diagnosed with a health condition. I really valued my freedom, my independence, my resilience, my health. And so I didn't do all those things because they were fun. Oftentimes they're really painful, but I did them because I really wanted to get better. I valued my future and my identity was really close to being an active person. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And so when we talk about like, how do I sustain? Yeah. Use January to get you started, but then really ask yourself, like, who am I? What do I want? Who do I want to be when I grow up? And I ask people in their eighties, that question, like, because at the end of the day, we're all growing up into whatever tomorrow is. So who do you want to be when you grow up? That's what's going to sustain you beyond January because most people approach the whole like January blitz thing either as like, oh, I have to do it it's January or I have to do it because I did something in December that I regret or whatever. Um, the external punishment of my jeans don't fit like whatever. And then maybe the slightly internalized reward of like, maybe I'll look, maybe I'll look different by June. Mm-hmm. And I've done that. I've done that a million times. But what actually keeps people going long term, and this is really important, this is validated in the motivation research, is the motivation to be consistent in whether we're talking about movement, we're talking about nutrition, we're talking about any kind of fitness or wellness, like behavior change. You will be far more consistent if you make those efforts for literally any other reason than how you look. And For me, it was the most important thing that I found in the research as I was doing my work. It was like everything we are selling in the fitness space is the least likely to sustain change.
0: Well, because it's it's job security, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I guess like, well, that's a whole different thing is like, so much of the fitness industry is built to cause codependence, mm. right? Like once you get a client, it's way easy. It was, this is another thing that they teach in a baby trainer. It's like, it's way easier to keep a client than get a new client. So once you've got a client, you got to keep them. And, and I, so there's this whole structure to get people back on the hook, keep them on
0: the hook, keep them on the hook. I always tell my clients, I say, my goal is to get you to the point where you don't need me. Like need me. I, I love you, but you got to go. Like you got to yeah. do this on your own. I really want listeners to marinate and maybe even rewind and listen to this again on the piece where you talked about punishment and reward, because I think people can go so can go so much deeper than that. And as you were talking, I thought about that five why exercise, you know, if you identify what it is, your motivator or why you started, ask yourself why, why, you know, ask the why five times to really see if you can get to that deep anything other than the aesthetics.
1: Yeah. I go with, um, one of the biggest ones when I'm doing an intake and this, this happened today. Um, I ask people, how do you want to feel? And everybody can tell me how they don't want to feel mm. right. I don't want to be tired. I don't want to be depressed. I don't want to be anxious. I don't want to be frustrated. I don't want to, you know, feel weak. I like pick, pick your variable,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but almost never, like maybe once can the clients start to answer that question with an additive positive, right? I want to feel excited. I want to feel happy. I want to feel energized. I want to be like, really think about like, who do you want to be when you grow up? And that identity piece, because look, not everything is going to feel good. Like, yeah, of course there are days that I would rather not have to do my corrective exercises. But if I want to be able to walk in three or four days, I have to do them. Or I won't be able to walk. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one way that I hack this with my clients, um, my own kind of version of the five whys is like, when I hear somebody say, should, need to, or have to, like any of those phrases, those are very, like we talked about it being a spectrum. Those are very close to no motivation, right? They're external. Oh, I really should do that. Oh, I have to, whatever. I need to, blah, blah, blah. totally external. Catch yourself and replace it with, I choose to, whatever the behavior is, because, and then whatever comes out of your brain or mouth or journal next needs to be the most authentic answer that you can come up with, like the closest to your internal bedrock. And if you can't answer the question, it's because it's not actually internally aligned.
0: So if I said to you right now,
1: yeah. I like, "Ah." like
0: that because I'm thinking of, you know, the listener who they really want to have a healthy relationship with let's say fitness or movement, but they just are stuck in that. I'm doing it because I have to, I don't actually enjoy it or I should like, they really struggle with that. That kind of that in between of, you know, I've been on the spectrum where I've been addicted to exercise. It's been my identity. And then maybe I've swung to the other side where I hate it. I, I don't want to do it. It's not fun. It's punishment Maybe I'm ready to get back into it. What does that kind of grace space look like? That's such a great tool. I love that.
1: Yeah. And for me, it's even worked the other way of I'll have behaviors. I'm like, oh God, I really don't want to keep eating in a way that I know is harmful to my body, right? Like having EDS doesn't just mean that my joints hurt a lot. It's that like there's other systems in my body that are affected and one of the big ones is my digestion. Mm. And so if I eat in impulsive ways, I will suffer for it, you know, in the acute sense and the the chronic sense. Mm -hmm. And so there are times that I will catch myself reaching for something and I'll stop and be like, okay, I'm choosing not to do this because I want to have a better day tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Or I'm choosing to, you know, and this is true, I'm going to do this as soon as we get off the call, I'm choosing to make broccoli for dinner, because I know if I have a cruciferous vegetable, I will have better gut microbiota, I'll have a better night's sleep, I'll have better digestion tomorrow, lower inflammation, my joints won't hurt, like there's, you know, I can give myself lots of information about what is going to be a healthful and aligned choice, not an obligation, Mm. because the obligation is not motivation. And as soon as you remove whatever that external structure of pressure is, you will fall back on because it wasn't actually aligned and integrated in a healthy way. And the other thing is like when we use these external systems of reward and punishment and all of the shame, the blame, the guilt that come with them, what we're actually doing is then like weaving that into who we are. So if you do integrate it, you're integrating it in a way that doesn't feel good emotionally Mm -hmm. and that's not wholeness.
0: Yeah, the obligation is not the motivation. That's that's a tweetable right there. If anybody tweets, oh, wait it down, wait it down, friends, <laughs> tag me, please. Yes, <laughs> yes, no. But it really is so interesting. We talk a lot about you know reframing, and I think a lot of listeners can identify in that space where they're stuck and they're kind of redefining what wellness looks like, but ch- at the same time trying not to fall back into a lot of those restrictive binary thinking patterns and habits so that is a awesome tip I love that you also talk a lot about self-care and can you give some examples of meaningful self-care that actually meets your needs like give us some concrete examples of that
1: yeah did you watch that reel
0: <laughs> yes I loved it
1: um, for for the listener it's a reel that's pinned on my Instagram um, where I sing a little song about like meaningful self-care meets your needs because it's not something you buy. Um, and it comes from my most popular workshop is a self-care workshop. And I teach self-care around this construct that self-care should meet your foundational human needs. Like if we go back to my grandma Betty, right? Like how would my grandma Betty have cared for me? She would have made sure my needs were met. And that is really what self-care is about. And so self-care in that definition isn't bath bombs. <laughs> um, it's am I nourishing, are am I, my am I foundational human needs met? So that I can show up out in the world. So if we use Maslow's hierarchy of needs for anybody who took psychology in undergrad, um, for anyone who didn't, Abraham Maslow is a very famous psychologist. Um, fun fact, Maslow never drew a pyramid uh, that was drawn oh. by the textbook makers.
0: Wow. <laughs> yeah. I know that was a fun fact.
1: Yeah. So I like to think of it instead of like a pyramid where it's this like ranked hierarchy. I like to think about it like um, kind of nested circles where at the core is your physical self. And then the next few layers are how you interact with the world. Mm -hmm. And then beyond that is your actualization, your thriving, and your Mm self-transcendence. So it radiates out from this core that is my physical vehicle that I ride around in, right? My consciousness is riding around in this physical machine Mm -hmm. (laughs) made of muscle and sinew. Um, So that means how is my sleep, hydration, nutrition, movement practice, mobility. Um, for me, I'm a very high touch person. So I also put hugs on the list. Like I need snuggles to be okay. Sometimes, and my husband yeah. knows that that's his responsibility. Aww. Um, And then we get into things like safety, um, psychological safety, social, emotional safety, physical safety. And also, it, you know, I think the last few years have really acutely showed us like the safety of my health, job security, financial security, Making sure that you have a retirement fund is self-care more than wine and a bath. Mm -hmm. Um, And from there, extends to love and belonging. So am I spending time with meaningful, positive relationships, which we know are really foundational to human well-being because we're deeply social creatures? Um, Am I calling my grandma? (laughs) Am I making time to like hang out with my cats on the couch? Like connecting in ways that help me to flourish is more self-care than, I don't know, one of those like face roller
0: things. The you know jade I mean? rollers, those, yes.
1: Yes, <laughs> that's a, like, that isn't meeting my foundational human needs. That might be that I want to present a certain way into the world and I have no judgment for that. But that's not necessarily self-care, that's beauty. I don't think beauty is wellness or self-care because if everything is wellness, nothing, it doesn't mean anything.
0: So true. So, so, so I, don't, a, I don't know if that's I another tweet. That's another tweetable. Beauty is not necessarily wellness, and I think, you know, I almost think the industry too has swung to this other side with self care, and similar to you know to fitness and nutrition, making us believe that we need all these products and tools and stuff. Yeah, but really, it's so foundational, and when we peel it back, it's so far from a lot of that
1: can i speak to where that i think that partly comes from please
0: right? so
1: i think it comes directly from influencer culture
0: mm.
1: and and it goes some and it's harmful for this like journey i mean to yeah um so if i'm following my like favorite influencer like of course i always think of a kardashian like pick pick your favorite or most infamous kardashian and i'm following them and i'm really into what they do and they say buy this thing and so i go buy the thing and I don't feel any better. I don't feel any better because it didn't actually meet the foundational human need that was going unmet that caused me to not feel great. Mm. But I bought it, it didn't work. And then they suggest something else. So buy that one and then I buy the next one. And then I buy the next one. Like how many times am I gonna buy the thing, try it, don't feel better, feel it a deficit. And I keep doing that until I ask myself, well, what's wrong with me?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What's wrong with me that this doesn't work? And now we are going the other way. Now we're manifesting anxiety, self-doubt, potentially self-harming behaviors, like all of these other things that come from feeling like the alien in the room, except instead of the room, it's like the whole world because it's the internet.
0: It's it's almost like the diet culture cycle, like the diet cycle, but for self-care, self-care. really interesting. It's the
1: same tools being used to sell it. And it comes from influencers with large followings need a way to pay the bills too.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: The other side of that coin is also it's classist because if pick your favorite Kardashian says like, oh, you got to do this retreat in Bali and I'm not going to drop and go to Bali right now because that ain't my life. It's classist to imply that self-care is consumerist Mm -hmm. because self-care is not like buying stuff. Maybe it's buying nutritious food, but that's a human need. Mm You very, know, very different. Yeah. And so I get really hyped up about the way that self-care is sold. Because I think, again, if taken too far, it is harming people. And when we can start to see the mechanisms, is when we can start to make more informed choices because we're not being sucked into the machine where we're the thing being commodified.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like our bodies, our minds, our hearts are well-being
0: that's such a takeaway for listeners you know as you start to really think about especially if you're in that that space like you said it's not to be shameful of like you're feeling motivated you're really curious about what your wellness is going to look like this year like get curious about how diet culture wellness what do we even call that wellness in disguise fake wellness i don't even know
1: I don't have a good name for it. I mean, that's
0: why I'm like, okay, so that's the beauty industry, that's the fitness industry. <laughs> like, it's such an umbrella. But you know, I would invite listeners to really just get curious about the way you're consuming messages. You know, the the why behind, like you said, buying some of these things or wanting to wanting to make change. Like, get curious about the why behind it. And it sounds like that can be a really good place to start.
1: Yeah, and I want to reiterate like no judgment on beauty. Like if the video doesn't go up, you can't see. I've got lashes in right now. I, you know, I my hair's done. Like no shame. Yeah. I I no, no judgment. I, I got my nails did. But also, I'm not doing that to cultivate a sense of like overall like wellness, like my state of being. Mm-hmm. I would have been fine to do this interview in sweats. And There's nothing wrong with investing in your appearance if you want to. But when we, you know, weave that in with, did I eat today? And did I eat in a way that nourishes who I want to be when I grow up? Because we're muddying water that's really vital Mm -hmm. to how we function as a society. And it's not doing us any favors. Like people are more depressed and anxious and struggling the further we go down that
0: road. Mm -hmm. There's so much to think about, so much to marinate on. <laughs> Durley, you, you, have, you have to come back. You have to come back on the show. I would show. love to anytime. So, until then, can you share with our listeners where they can follow you, where they connect connect with you, especially if they want to learn more?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll throw this out. You just said something about making your wellness plan for this year. Um, I have a post on my Substack that has a workbook for that. Um, so anybody who wants it, um, my Substack is Coach Dar dot um so Share with listeners re- what
0: Substack is because I don't
1: think people ah, know a lot. Sure. Well, Substack is somewhere between a blog and like a newsletter. So you can get the app or if you subscribe on the website, you'll get emailed as a newsletter or you can go to the website and peruse anyone's posts. Some of them are behind a paywall. Um, in my case, I post bonus episodes for my podcast there and some like premium content. But there's plenty there that's free. Um, I only just launched it a few weeks ago. So it's 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 a work very actively in progress. Love um, it. But one of the things that there is a is a workbook for your
0: 2023
1: wellness plan. And it's um, kind of like,
0: how do we take all these ideas and put them into practice? And we are all about pen to paper on the show. So we will definitely link to that. Where Where else can they find you?
1: Awesome. Um, So I host a podcast called Better Than Fine, um, positive psychology-based wellness tools, like how do you actually get to show up in the world and not in a like fake fine, but like more better. I am on Instagram primarily. It's Darlene.coach. And my website is also Darlene.coach. So not.com, like (laughs) Darlene.coach. And there's a lot of free stuff there and blog posts and info. And the whole idea is like, let's get as much resonant, meaningful information out into the world. Um, So I like to give a lot away because like that's, you know, because that's the anti classist maneuver when we're talking about it not being stuff that you buy.
0: And we need more of that. So thank you very much. Amen. Amen. And the last question I have for you, just so we can end on a high note is, you know, what's the best thing that's happened to you this week?
1: Well, we're recording this on a Tuesday, so I feel like...
0: The past seven days. Okay, we'll the past seven
1: days. I would say the best thing was that my my husband, we've been married only six months, so my husband Congratulations. and I... Um, we totally like, unplugged last week and just spent the whole week in our home with our kitties like, being cozy and like putting the world down and it felt so good to just huh, after Excellent. the last year. Yeah. And, and, and what I really felt was both just coming back to ourselves and each other for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, cause we've had a really wild, not just this year, but like for me, the last five years has been almost constant change and we're finally getting to a place where we can settle into our choices of the life that we designed together. And that has felt really really, like a downshift, but in the best way possible. Yeah. Um. I feel like this is a moment that I don't mean any, I I haven't ever meant this statement more in my life that like no new is the best
0: new right now. I always say no plans are the best plans
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I, I want I, I'm gonna leave you with one more nugget, please. um I a few days ago I posted my like anti-new year new you rant um because I think that those phrases get really toxic. And my friend Jerry posted in the comments um because she spent a few days to think about it and then she said this year I want it to be new year more you be more aligned, more intentional, more kind, and more loving to myself, and then bring more of that out into the world. I'm just like,
0: amen. And on that note, mic drop. So good. (laughs) Thanks, Jerry. (laughs) Darlene, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been such a joy. We will, of course, link to all the things in the show notes. Definitely go check out her podcast, check out all her free tools, because we need more of, of this in our life. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of fit friends, happy hour. If you liked this episode, don't forget to share it with a friend. You can subscribe or follow wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at fit friends, happy hour. Talk to you next time.